Hello strangers and welcome to Strangers in a Cinema. I'm one of your co-hosts Paul Anderson here with co-host Pete Wall and Grace Williams. Hello Pete, how are you today? There we go, it makes it easier if I single out someone that I say hello to and then we can pass it around the group. <laughs> Thank you, you're too kind man. I, I mean, I'm great Paul, but as everybody in this process is well aware, I've just messed up a part of our evening by failing to record the first 20 minutes of the show. It was so gold, doing it, was it again gold. I think it's probably the best, best material we've ever put together, yeah, if I'm yeah. honest. <laughs> I, I've got to say, to be honest, you you two on that side, really good. I was rubbish. So when I hadn't recorded it, I thought maybe, you know, maybe it was meant to be because no one ever has to listen to what I just said. But um, how about you, Grace? How are you doing other than being like mildly infuriated by just wasting 20 minutes no, of your life? No, it's brilliant because I can deliver what I've been up to this week in a much more professional and <laughs> confident manner. Well... <laughs> Everything's wonderful with me. Thank you very much. I won another uh, award for my short film, Easy Meets, which was the Cult Critics Award um, all the way in Calcutta. And they gave me a lovely certificate and laurel with a cat on it, which was really nice. Um, and I've been getting rid of lots of stuff ready for the new year, but then replacing it with more Funko Pops, which I'm addicted to uh buying and now i've got the complete set of the little shop of horrors funko pops which is amazing. i'm quite jealous to be honest i have seen i've now seen your funko pop collection and i mean i've got a few but oh my god pete literally a wall of funkos a whole wall of funkos it's it was a it's a beautiful site absolutely see the ones beautiful in my bags site. though did you no i didn't see the ones my in full the set of well. like lord of the rings and no Twin I, Peaks. I haven't seen the full oh, set okay. no. no so i've got i've got like one of each set of the ones that yeah. i like but a full set <laughs> wouldn't fly in my house I as, don't as soon as uh, as soon as you or i graduate from widely ignored podcasts to award-winning filmmaking <laughs> then we can probably afford to catch up on the funko pops front um, well, that's very but until true. that day i <laughs> yeah. think grace is gonna have the crown right anyway um that's what we've been what have i been up to um not a lot watching films which is probably what i do most spend most of my time it's that, doing, so, Paul, yes. it's that it's that well you you both know it's that time of year right where like on my phone at the moment I've got a list and it's called end of year hit list and it's like 30 odd films that I feel are absolutely essential for me to have viewed before the end of the year so that I feel like in a really good position to judge the top 10 of the year list which we'll be doing in a, in a little bit's time so uh, yeah basically all I'm doing is is like you Paul just watching as many things as I possibly can in and out of the cinema at the moment yeah basically sums it up to be honest I think I'm pretty much there with my list but obviously that's for that's for next week's recording which, we, which will go up between Christmas and New Year I would have thought the way we stand at the moment so yeah i think i'm very nearly there. there's a couple yeah. more that i want to catch up with but i think i'm pretty much there so yes um so in this episode we have got a three-act structure so in act one we will be talking about um, a new chain of cinemas that launches this month in bath the tivoli cinemas which um grace uh, was very very privileged to go this is what happens when you win awards you see you get invited to exclusive sneak peek events at new cinema chains uh, so exactly. tivoli cinemas is one opening in bath uh, very soon uh, followed by one in Cheltenham, Pete, where Pete is, um, over the next year. Um, and we're talking a little bit about um, a new Cineworld proposition called Screen X, which hopefully won't be as bad as everything else that they do. Um, and followed, following on from that will be a feature review of Aquaman, and then we'll be talking about our top five Christmas movies. Ho, 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 everyone. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be suitably festive yes, by absolutely. that point, if that hasn't fired you up entirely. <laughs> Uh, uh, for this point should we should we get into then Paul our, our beloved section at the beginning of the show what have you been watching because this is where the three of us run down some of the things that we've ingested in the last seven days and 
what they meant to us for better or worse. Um, Grace, do you want to start? What have you seen in the last last few days, other than sort of um, collecting all the checks and awards through the mailbox <laughs> that you've been getting for your your own productions? Have any productions been sort of worth your time over the last last week? Yeah, well. Um I decided to watch Clown, um, which came out a couple of years ago. Um, I was inspired because I was watching um, some uh, program which was saying about how Into the Spider-Verse, which we're going to talk about, um, I'm sure, um, was the best Spider-Man movie. So I looked up who directed Spider-Man Homecoming and discovered he dis- um, the director had done Clown, which is a um, Eli Roth-produced film. Uh, the concept started off... Um, as a short film slash trailer project by a film student who cleverly tagged Eli Roth's uh, name to this fake film and Eli Roth thought the trailer was really impressive and wanted to turn it into a feature Um, and it's basically uh, a film about a kid whose clown cancels for his birthday party and his dad's a real estate agent and and somehow luckily finds a clown costume luckily (laughs) (laughs) lucky him um finds uh, a clown costume in a deceased um chap's house and so he's like yay i saved my kid's birthday party um but little does he know that he can't get the clown suit off and i mean like the the nose the wig the full costume um he can't get it off and it transpires that it's actually the skin of a clown demon that must eat um, a child for every month of winter and um, it is really really gruesome and funny in places a bit like I guess um, Cannibal Holocaust where Eli Roth just like always um, there's a boundary between what's funny and what's just overtly disgusting Um, but I I found it really terrifying in places actually. Green Inferno wasn't it? Green Inferno sorry it's based on the Cannibal Holocaust Um, yeah. The corrections office there. Yeah no 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 no, please do. Well, it's kind of the system we run, isn't it, right? One person talks and the other two people think of ways to correct that person on the stuff that they've just that said. completely takes the fun out of the show. <laughs> no, Clown's good. I've seen yeah. it. I, I liked it a lot. I think if you haven't checked it out, uh, it's, it's well, worth, it's well mm. worth doing so. It's a bizarre film in places. It is quite, yeah, you're right, it's quite gruesome, but it's, it's mm. a good horror. It is yeah. a thoroughly decent horror. So, yeah, I would, I would second that recommendation. Uh, Pete, what, what, what have you been watching, sir? A lot. Yeah, an awful lot. Um, so I'll whittle it down to a couple of things that I can skim through. Um, first of all, I am going to jump to, uh, differently to the first time we tried to record this episode, <laughs> I'm going to go in with uh, a different movie, which is uh, Don't Worry, You Won't Get Far On Foot. This one is uh, the new Gus Van Zandt movie that is currently available to watch, uh, at least in the UK, on Amazon Prime streaming video. Um, and yeah, it, my feelings about this. So this tells the story, the true story of... Um, a man who worked as a satirical cartoonist and was um, hurt in an accident, an accident that was somewhat of his own creation uh, due to his dependence on alcohol and his sort of the way that he was living his life at the time, um, who is then wheelchair bound and goes through the 12 step AA program to try to right the wrongs of the past and forge ahead in life where things seem stacked against him the person at the centre of this, the character at the centre of this is played by Joaquin Phoenix who is of course a a guy that we know is more than willing to throw himself wholeheartedly into a role and he, as you might expect, is is pretty good here Um, 
the, the, the way that I think I would sum up, though, my feelings on the film are, well, first of all, that I think that other examples of films that dwell or deal with, um, I should say more than dwell on, the 12-step programme, I think fighting a bit of an uphill struggle not to seem either um, sort of preachy and sanctimonious or just kind of dull. Um, and I think that's just an unfortunate consequence, maybe, of trying to take something that's difficult to film into the, you know, the medium of film. Um, it, yeah, in this case, I think some of the stuff works really well, but I think like a lot of Gus Van Zandt, at least recent Gus Van Zandt output, um, there he's a director who at turns can be like invigorating and um, sort of uplifting and can capture these really special moments. And on the other hand, can be self-indulgent and sort of tedious and at times excruciatingly so. And I think the film lurches between those two modes of being. Some of the best stuff in it is um, at least the second appearance. There are two appearances by Jack Black in a role that's somewhat against type. Um, and I think he's very good here. Whackin Phoenix, as I mentioned, it is also good. Um, less good is... Uh, oh, I've forgotten the name of the actor now. <laughs> memorable the guy <laughs> who's in... Uh, the guy who's in uh, Superbad. Um Michael Sarah, Jonah Hill Jonah Hill yeah yeah it, Jonah Hill here plays like a the guy who is sort of the the head of the 12-step program and is this sort of somewhat spiritual guru of sorts as well but is insufferable and yes the character may be written that way but I'm not sure Jonah Hill's very good and I think in this role I mean and not in general and I think that maybe the um, the recent sort of explosion of opportunities afforded Jonah Hill have slightly um, led him to slightly outstretch his own capabilities but I mean there's there's certainly stuff to enjoy um, it's an interesting sort of oddity of a movie um, with some great cameos to look out for we've got like Kim Gordon Carrie Brownstein Beth Ditto like loads of people from the world of like indie rock music and stuff crop up here as you might imagine yeah. Gus Van Zandt being a fairly connected guy so yeah uh, yeah it's on Amazon um, form your own opinion and if you're a Wacky Phoenix fan which to some extent I am then I would say this is fairly essential just because it's a role uh, that that tests again in a different way tests his abilities as an actor. Uh, last point I would say, Paul, is that uh, Rooney Mara's in it, and I think that the Rooney Mara sort of um, thinking man's pixie dream girl thing has kind of run its course, <laughs> and we, I might like to see her in some different roles. Uh, what have you been watching aside from uh, Bumblebee? I've seen. I went to see another Transformers film, Pete. I did it to myself. I put myself through it. Are you ready for this? Are you ready? Okay. Crass jokes, overtly sexualized female characters, racist stereotypes, and crap robot designs are finally off the agenda in a Transformers film. They're fi guys, they're not there. Finally. Right, they're not there. In my lifetime, I've finally seen a good Transformers film, and I am overjoyed at this fact. Uh, Pete, you will know better than most how much I love the Transformers animated movie, how fond I am of that, and the, even the quite crap at times animated series and how much I love Transformers in general and how much I have just wanted for years and years and years one of these films to be good I've never understood why Michael Bay took the approach that he did and I've never understood how you can possibly fuck up a Transformers film but Michael Bay did he did it however many five times four times five I think times uh, right so what's happened here is they've brought a different director in they've got the guy that made the the rather good Kubo and the Two Strings Travis Knight on board um, to direct this film and what we've got is pretty much although the producer went on record this week and denied that it's a reboot pretty much a reboot not a renewed that's not even a thing a reboot of the uh, Transformers film 
films where all the Transformers look like the Transformers did in the cartoons, which is what they should have looked like in the first place. Bumblebee's a beetle. Um, the tone of the film is a lot more, it's got a lot more in common with, say, E.T. or Short Circuit or Batteries Not Included. So it's got a very, very, very Spielberg sort of Amblin entertainment feel to it, which is the direction they should have gone in the first place. There's a lot of light-hearted touches here. Um, Hayley Steinfeld is really good as the Bumblebee's new owner. Then you've got John Cena camping it up as this military man who has some of the best lines of the film when he makes a comment where the humans are considering working with the Decepticons. And he makes a comment, he was like, but they're called Decepticons. Surely that's a clue that we shouldn't work with them. So it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's very, very good-natured. It's actually quite funny. Uh, and I really, really liked it. And I'm just so happy. So Travis Knight... Just make a re do a remake of the animated film and just make more Transformers films before Michael Bay decides he wants his toys back. You have made an eight-year-old Paul Anderson very, very happy. So, yes, there we go. Bumblebee, it's great, good. Great success. Yeah, because, I mean, I think my take on this, uh, as you know, well, like you said, I'm well aware of how much love you have for the for the original animated movie, like you said, and sort of like the lore around Transformers and stuff like that. And I've always thought that, I guess because I didn't care about it that much as a child, when the Michael Bay <laughs> yes, movie started fair, getting yeah. slung yeah. out like, like so much animal waste, then I was like, this is why I don't care, because it's just crass, yeah. stupid commercial rubbish. Um, and then you dropped this thing a little while ago on the show about the guy doing the, this new movie is Travis Knight and Kubo and the Two Strings, which I've seen and really like. And so maybe there's a there's a chance, not that this matters to the filmmakers, but maybe there's a chance that I'll actually go see a Transformers movie, you know, sort of voluntarily <laughs> yeah. and without feeling a little bit sick in the back yeah. of my throat. So that's yeah, progress, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, hopefully you'll feel more strongly than that, that it's good. But yes, uh, I loved it. Uh, Grace, <laughs> what else have you seen? Um, I watched some more Netflix junk uh, <laughs> with <laughs> Netflix junk. That's Netflix great. Junk. Bottom, shelf, it's like bottom shelf Netflix. <laughs> you've got to get through the junk to get through to the. Yeah, you've the, got to get gold. through the junk to get to Roma. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know. But sometimes you find some gems in there. But this was not. I watched self forward slash backslash forward slash less um, with Ryan Reynolds and Ben Kingsley, and it's uh, a film. Uh, as the science it's fiction, film. it's a Good. film, science fiction film. I mean, it vaguely was a film. Um, no, it had Ben Kingsley playing um, a very rich architect with a gold apartment and a very dark goatee beard and a thick New York accent, which was so overly New York it became not New York anymore. And he's um, he's a very sick man not sick in the head he's like <coughs> sick and he's gonna die soon he finds this company um that can put his mind into the mind of a a new body a deceased person um so ben kingsley fakes his own death he goes to this place and his thoughts get put into um a new body that is played by ryan reynolds and um then some stuff happens and it was a bit rubbish really um it's <laughs> it's no it's a bit it, it's no face off but it just i just find with these brain swap movies they're just so predictable you know you, there's always going to be problems when two two minds share one body you know glitches of past memories am i myself am i someone else who am i where do i fit in this world and sometimes it it, it works really well but this one they just there were some good repetitive shots and a, a vaguely good twists but it just didn't really make the cut am i right in saying i know this already because we've already recorded this bit of the show so this isn't magic <laughs> uh, pete you've seen and forgotten this haven't you um 
<laughs> yes, I, I basically, yeah, I was just trying to trying to remember like any detail about the film other than what Grace has just elucidated. But yeah, I, I, I basically agree that I think the, the whole body swap thing is sort of interesting. And here you've got this kind of mind swap situation. But um, and, and being a sort of Ryan Reynolds completist, I wanted to see this like I wanted to see all manner of other questionable Ryan Reynolds films. Because sometimes, a bit like the Netflix thing, if you watch enough Ryan Reynolds films, you accidentally stumble on like a really good one. Um, but, but yeah, this isn't necessarily that. Um, and it doesn't it, Grace, because you've seen this recently, doesn't it all get a bit weird as well? But apart from the body swap thing you know being a bit weird on its own merits but the fact that like it's about reconnection with his daughter but then the person who's reconnecting with the daughter is obviously the body of like a young man and it all i, I just remembered like part of the film feeling like quite in, uncomfortable well, he, the daughter and fancy, fancies her father well he he so ryan reynolds character is a a, a soldier who has to basically he's like sold himself for this experiment to save his kid's life and then Ben Kingsley's right. mind wants to he remembers bits of it so he goes to the wife's house and then she's all freaked out she's like no my husband's dead he's like don't worry I'm not your don't husband don't worry my husband looks like Ryan Reynolds <laughs> yeah. now I don't really see what the problem is there <laughs> so and then yeah loads of people yeah it was yeah a bit stupid but you know it, it was no hitman's bodyguard was it you know <laughs> <laughs> Or what was the one? Ah, uh, ki- no, it's the Atomy Egoyan one that I spoke about on the show, where his daughter gets kidnapped. That's a Ryan Reynolds movie that was available to stream oh. a bit ago. That one's like, like all right until it's about, rubbish. I Probably about better 10 than minutes this. Of the change off, Matt, to switch it off because that was offensively bad. That's another. That's another good Ryan Reynolds film. Is this, this has become the Ryan Reynolds episode? <laughs> no, just, Pete, what else have you been watching? <laughs> Okay, uh, I want to mention one, Paul, that you covered a little while ago, and I know you were quite keen on. This one is from Dominic Savage, and it is uh, the film The Escape. Um, the Escape is, uh, well, again, trying to keep it brief, it, to my mind, is probably Gemma Arterton's strongest pure acting oh, performance. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, however okay so very very briefly this is a a domestic drama it's about Arterton's character is married to a character played by Dominic Cooper unhappily and clearly wanting a way wanting freedom wanting oxygen wanting to do something that isn't dependent entirely on the whims of this vaguely dullard slightly uh, or marginally and continually abusive husband and basically needing to express herself as a human being in, in something beyond her four walls of sort of suburban mediocrity and so the escaping question is her escape both literally and figuratively from the situation that she's in um, to which end she ends up going to Paris on her own I think it's sort of a film of two halves you've got this brilliantly closely observed first half which is all kind of um, tense furtive looks and the kind of understanding in her eyes and in her actions and in her gestures that everything is wrong to a sort of deep spiritual core inside of her um and then you've got the second half of the film which sort of to me fell away into a slightly blamongy underwritten um sort of jaunt around paris in a you know a slightly more intellectualized version of eat pray love um that's a shame because I think that the first half of this movie is is astonishingly well made and, and and observed more than just technically well made. I just felt disappointed with the sort of deflating 
um, yeah, like a cake that sort of you think has risen beautifully. And as you take it out of the oven, it just caves in a little bit and makes you feel bad. I mean, the sequence that the film goes out on could hardly have been more of a whimper. And for something like this that is about emancipation mm. no, and self-actualization, right. uh, yeah. it, it feels disappointing. Yeah, I think the more I think on it, I think that the, I was carried by the strength of the first half, which is just superb. And even Dominic Cooper here, isn't it, who is an actor I normally hate with the force of a thousand suns is really good in this i mean it might be that he's playing himself <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah but... well who knows i mean because because he might be a lovely yeah. fella uh apparently he's, he's well if if the gossip mags are to be believed he's just moved in on Gemma chan after jack whitehall was off the scene but um yeah he he is this guy who in the movie has to play sort of a you know, a, a vaguely detached and uncaring shitbag. Although what I do think is to the, the writer's credit and to the director's credit is that it, he isn't purely bad. Like he's not written as just a no. monstrous, hateful character. Actually, you can see that a lot of it is weakness and in himself he's going through something of a crisis. It's just that his crisis is is helping along the process of sort of Gemma Arterton's character's life being stagnant and, and in ruins but yeah like there's there's loads to like about it and i'd really in you know I, i'm really looking forward to what dominic savage does next and lastly of all this is the according to imdb anyway this is the follow-up in the arterton back catalogue to the absolutely execrable movie 100 <laughs> streets so that she would go from that to this is is great because it wasn't her fault that that film was utterly terrible but in this she really gets to shine uh and so yeah it, it's to be recommended i would say that one's the escape paul have you got uh, anything yes. else so uh, not long come back from the cinema seeing this um this is spider-man uh, into the spider-verse um I, I, i've not been blown away in the cinema by by a film like this in in quite some time if i'm honest like just beautifully beautifully animated with uh, a heartfelt story that focuses on miles morales rather than peter parker because i think peter parker's story spider-man has kind of been done to death on the big screen so it's refreshing to see uh, another take on this uh, incredible voice cast um you've got um shamik moore uh, who's not an actor i'm familiar with but he's great i'm assuming is miles morales uh, jake johnson is like an aged an aging sort of peter parker well aging he's 26 but still an older peter parker uh, nicholas cage Hayley steinfeld uh, liv schreiber's in this um just it's just a staggeringly beautiful film in terms of the animation style like the art design is fantastic Kingpin is on villain duties here. He's just like this towering beast. It's it's like no other animated film I've seen, and like the set pieces are incredible. It's for me, it's the most fun I've had. It's probably one of the most fun experiences I've had at the cinema this year. And it tops Black Panther. It tops Infinity War. I just I, I enjoyed it so much, so much more than both of those other superhero films. And I liked those films. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, um, absolute absolutely blew me away. And just see it on the big screen. It is an absolutely stunning film visually. Um, Grace, you've seen this, haven't you? I think. Yeah, I did. I um I saw it yesterday actually, and um, yeah, it's it's definitely um a. a rejuvenated uh animation and given um new style and um there's certainly a lot of new techniques in there i found sometimes maybe this was just the cinema experience but it kind of looked like it was supposed to be in, th in 3d when it was a 2d performance but um having said that yeah it was it was really fun there were lots of awesome characters which were great to see on the big um, big screen like spider gwen um spider-man noir the voice cast was great peter porker was in uh, this as well peter porker <laughs> who's um i always forget this chap's name but he's voiced by um andrew from big mouth 
um, which I love. Um, I've forgotten the voice guy's name. I, I remembered it yesterday. But yeah, I was like, oh, it's that guy. Um, and um, yeah, and I really like um, the uh, Miles Morales with the Prowler storyline. I think that's um, a really nice take on the Uncle Ben um, storyline. It's definitely a new refreshing look at it um but yeah i i, I wouldn't say it's my favorite superhero movie of ever or of the year but it's definitely um making great steps in um animation for sure yeah definitely and see, yeah, see it on the see it for a start don't be put mm. off by the facts of animation um and see it on the biggest screen you possibly can because i cannot i cannot speak highly enough for just how good this film looks and how re- visually different this film is to almost any other mm. animation that i've seen to be honest it, it takes the it pushes it pushes the boundary seriously with w- yeah. with what you've seen in terms of on-screen animation in cinema. It just looks incredible. It was the same feeling I got right. when I saw Kuba and Two Strings. To be honest, in that respect, it's like, oh, this is really new. Yeah, this is amazing. Yeah, it just yeah. it's it's great. It's just an incredible big screen mm. experience. Uh, Pete, have we got time for one more? Two more? Yeah, we've, um, we've well, both can, seen a lot. Squeeze we? one in. Um, <laughs> I want to I want to sort of make this both a little uh, review and also a little promotion for something that we don't receive any money for. But um, the, the third film I wanted to mention is The Image Book from Jean-Luc Godard. It's the new Jean-Luc Godard joint, if you like, uh, released through MUBI. And that's the little promotion is that people may or may not know, but MUBI is this like amazing streaming service which offers up one new film a day. So you've always got like a conveyor belt of 30 movies and one is taken off and then one is added. But the thing that sells MUBI is like it's really well uh, curated so the stuff that's available isn't just a random selection like you might get on a sort of Netflix or Amazon and having to sort of pass through all of the rubbish as we've been discussing uh, uh, to find the great stuff it is pretty much guaranteed to offer you uh, majority great things at any given time and at the moment you can sign up for three months for a pound which is unbelievable the Jean-Luc Godard movie is like premiering on their platform as well, which is the kind of coup that you wouldn't maybe expect from a sort of more uh, or like a lesser in terms of budget and stuff uh, streaming platform. But uh, this one's called The Image Book. So think something like uh, the way that William S. Burroughs used to cut up all the work that he'd done and like glue it back together and angrily produce something that might seem to uh, the uninitiated as completely incoherent or maybe was incoherent to a certain degree. The Image Book is a a load of images moving and still sounds and um, sort of oral attacks on the listener this is like this uh, this is uh, John Luke Goddard being deliberately antagonistic and upsetting and um, irritating I suppose for want of a better word which might all sound like why the hell would I expose myself to this but there are moments within the image book which are like transcendentally beautiful and not only beautiful beautiful but like have real depth you start linking together the ideas that are being presented by a filmmaker who has an awful lot on his mind despite being 80 some years old at this point the thrust of the film directs itself initially towards like the human hand and the way in which the human hand has been used as an instrument or a tool for enacting many things including creativity and violence this is something that had come up if we had time to talk about the Lars von Trier movie as well but um, I'm sure we'll get to that in due course but then later in the film it moves on to a preoccupation with the situation or recent situations in the Middle East um, and the conflict conflict between Israel and Palestine and so on Um, maybe the second half I felt 
undereducated to fully appreciate all of the the things that were being presented on the other hand it did start to feel like it was slightly overreaching possibly um who am i to criticize the great man but yeah uh, i think the image book is very much worthwhile but like if you're looking for a movie to watch you know with a beer and some popcorn or whatever on a friday night do not choose this like it is work it's it's effort um and it will reward i think a little bit of effort and sort of commitment to the to the thing but um yeah it i don't know it worked for me um, other opinions are available i guess uh, can i squeeze in one more paul have we got time can i yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Roma. Yeah, Roma came out this week. Alfonso Caran's uh, much, 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 much lauded um, Netflix exclusive, um, and I think we're probably, I'm probably, it's going to have made my list. This is very unlikely. It's very unlikely it won't. So we'll probably will come back to it in a bit more detail in an upcoming episode. But for me, this was just staggeringly beautiful on a on a scale I don't think I've seen before. In all honesty, like it just. I don't think I've seen a film look this beautiful. Full stop. The way the way it's shot, the way he's managed to embrace uh, the HDR technology on Netflix. If you've got a TV that supports it, it just looks incredible. Um, it's very very Ozu, I'd say, in the way it's kind of it just takes almost like a snapshot of a servant's life. But it, yeah, it's a very very de- deliberately slow film. It's a very 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 beautiful film. It is profoundly moving in places. There's certain scenes that will that will certainly stay with you. And I said it's just just staggering just i don't think i've processed it all yet i think i need to see i think i need to see roma again but and i will touch more on it on the up and coming films of the year episode because it has made my list there's no doubt about it uh pete you've seen this i understand I mean, you might be able to do it a bit more justice than i have yeah but, um yeah i mean like you said paul i think that there'll be chance to discuss it um, i'm assuming for for all of us or maybe all of us when it comes to sort of end of year list possibly um i yeah all i can really add uh, without going into loads of detail is that like if you're a fan of fixed camera position and like those shots where the camera just sits somewhere and watches the action take place or the events more so than action take place around the camera rather than the other way around like Caron is not this filmmaker who's interested in in following things Mm. all the time at least in a sort of kinetic way but more so just allowing events to unfold and observing them from a position that manages somehow to frame almost everything with just utter jaw-dropping beauty so that that's what you get in spades here and i i'm not sure that the film like most things is entirely without uh, things that we could discuss that are not just gushingly positive but i don't think there's worth mentioning anything about those things at this point because yeah to all intents and purposes this is an absolutely glorious experience and one that's available to everybody to stream right now so well, like, i will add to that though it's just it's one of the few actually worth but well there's been a handful there's been this and probably annihilation this year where i just thought i wish i could have seen this on a cinema screen because i just think i mean roma looked good on it looked good on my tv uh the bigger the tv you've got the better it's going to look without a shadow of a doubt but on a cinema screen this film would look mind-blowing and it looks good enough anyway so yeah a bit of a shame we haven't got to see it on the cinema screens but netflix it seemed to be relenting and showing some films in some cinemas in some places so maybe we'll get there with the netflix films but yeah like certainly watch it if you're in if you've got any interest in the film at all you probably would have seen it by now or it is on your list if it isn't mm-hmm. on your list it absolutely should be it's fantastic yeah. uh right so that brings great have you got anything anything else to add to this section i have before nothing I bring else to add no okay. i've just been continuing my sleepy hollow odyssey as ever season three if Bob crane's at it that's that <laughs> Well, we'll be back uh, very shortly with a chat about Tivoli Cinemas and Screen X. So, uh, well, here I am. 
doing science. We talked at the outset of the show, or mentioned at the outset of the show, this thing about uh, Tivoli cinemas launching in a couple of places, and first and foremost, Bath. And it just so happens that the two of you over there are in that city as we speak. So I think, kick it off. What's the deal? What is this chain? Is it good? Should we be excited? You've been already, haven't you, Grace, somehow? You got invited to some swanky sort of preview event, didn't you? Well, um, yes, I I, um, got invited because um, I, I used to work in cinema so I have very special um, contacts and um, yes I went for a basically a trial run at Tivoli Cinema so they were just sort of testing um, if their whole concept works and um, yeah it's um, it's a really beautiful cinema it has um, you you enter it has a sort of American hotel feel it's very swanky um, it's very minimalist um, in that respect you're not bombarded with um, leaflets and kiosk um, adverts it's a very uh, grown up place to be is there a bar? there is a humongous bar I mean <laughs> you know um, and uh, there's food and there's places to just sit and chill so it's, it's being marketed as a cafe bar cinema and the the actual um, screens themselves are just beautiful um, I I went in to watch A Star Is Born and I got a whole golden armchair to myself with a side table and a lamp and my burger and halloumi chips were bought in for me and I just sat there watching A Star Is Born munching on my humongous burger and it was it was divine and um, it's I, the ticket prices aren't too expensive. Um, too expensive either I think they're going to be about 15 pounds which really for that kind of experience where it's um it's uh the 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 actual screen is amazing the projection's amazing the sound's really good the seating is really good the food's really good the whole the customer service is fantastic I I, I didn't think that was too expensive Do at they- all so when the film's on, yeah. and this could be a deal breaker mm. for me, I'll be honest, when the film's on, and I'm a notoriously grumpy cinema goer, mm. as you should be aware mm. by now, mm. when the film's on, are they walking food to and from the tables in front of the screen? I think the idea is that they only bring food, it should be the food comes in during the ads and trailers, okay. so the little lamps okay. stay on, so there's you, so you can eat in the And then the, the lamps screen. go off. Yeah. In the film. Yeah. Few. Okay. And then I'm there's in. a little um, there's a little <laughs> shelf that you can put your empty um, right. platters right there. Is it there. comfortable then? Is it oh, like there's so like armchair, armchair comfort. Okay. They have they'll have a um, director's screen screening area where you can hire out a private screen um, for yourself for um, group bookings as well. So that's going to be awesome, and I think they're going to um, it's going to be a kind of community. Uh, base place where they're going to try and do as much with uh, local filmmakers as well I think so that'd be quite a nice idea yeah um, but yeah it's it opens on Friday the 21st of December it's located just by um, Bath bus and train station as well so that's quite a good location and I think they're opening with Mary Mary Poppins And you'll get him on next year, Pete, you lucky devil in Cheltenham. Yeah, apparently so. Yeah, after Philip Green tanked BHS, we just had a uh, a giant commercial unit that's been sitting empty and, and sad 
for quite a while at the end of a, a shopping centre here in, in lovely leafy Cheltenham. So, uh, yeah, it turns out that um, the plans to put in a Tivoli cinema theatre or whatever you, you want to call it were approved the end of October, I believe, or towards the end of October by the council here. And we're going to get the similar sort of luxe experience. I wonder, though, Paul, as someone, you know, you've got access as well as, as Grace coming up to this one, uh, this new uh, idea, not even idea, this new spin on the cinema experience. Does all this luxe stuff stuff strike you as something that attracts you or actually kind of puts you off because you were saying the thing about food service but like sometimes I suppose I'm a bit um, ambivalent because I feel like having the things that Grace said like great projection great sound all this music to my ears but then the idea that it's all sort of pandering to people who need not you grace (laughs) not you but like people who need to eat full cooked meals while watching like an hour and a half movie and like drink chilled white wine from a from a bucket or whatever uh it kind of makes me feel a bit weird how do you feel paul I'm, I'm I'm with you, Pete, to be honest. Like, I mean, I like the idea of a luxury cinema, and don't get me wrong, like, I've seen some pictures of this place, and it looks incredible, but for me, I like to go into the Odeon, I like it to be dark, and then I like to fuck off for ten minutes, and then I like to go back into the Odeon ten minutes later, uh, and then watch a film and fuck off again. Like, I am very much, I go to the cinema to watch films. Like, so for me, it depends on the kind of films they show, probably. If they're showing stuff that I can't see elsewhere in Bath then I will do, definitely do go you to know, it so for example sorry to cut across you Paul can I just ask Grace to, to that point do you have any idea about the programming like if this is intended as a cinema that's going to give access uh, to yeah different a variety of different kinds of film or is it going to be largely the sort of Mary Poppins for example uh, of the the film world not that there's anything wrong with that but just it's an interesting point I think yeah, I guess um, for for a new um, company, I, there'll be a certain amount of um, programming uh, blockbusters just to get the audience in initially, I guess. Um, and then uh, once they've found what the audience wants, then maybe they'll tailor um, the programming to that. But um, yeah, um, I mean, hopefully they'll they'll they've got I think it's like four screens, so hopefully they'll be able to show an eclectic mix of stuff. Mm. Um, and I. Unfortunately, I think with the way cinemas going, having these kind of places are kind of a byproduct of a, um, a not a, a, a day and age where people don't go to the cinema as much anymore, and they would rather just sit wait until it's available for streaming. Mm. So to actually, I mean, when I was working in cinema, we we made um, more money off of the food and beverages than we did the actual film showing. So unfortunately, I think it is a byproduct, and people if people do we all go to the cinema you know once a week or what have you but people will go once a month and it will be a special event for them so to have the whole bar dining experience going to the cinema that's like that they can encompass everything in one evening i think is a very attractive feature mm, sure uh, yeah i know i think you're right i think it's in, endemic of where of where production is going because it's so difficult to turn a profit for these places because they have to put so much of a cut back to the mm. studios You've got Disney, especially trying to reduce the trying to reduce the window between cinematic release and home release, um, and you've got Netflix chewing nipping at their tails. Netflix have got Roma, that's un- unheard of. You know, well, potentially well, Netflix going to have the Paul, first Oscar winner this year. So correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but don't don't Disney. You'd know about this as well, but um, don't Disney have a their own streaming platform on the way? 
They do, yeah. yeah. So they'll have that's m- middle of next year, I think. So, so yeah, they've so got a, a, a you know a dog in the race or whatever. So yeah, I mean you know, but more power to them. I can't see me using it on a regular basis unless they introduce some kind of membership card system. Mm. Also, the other thing you've got to bear in mind is when you go as much as I do. Um, it's 15, what, 17, 18, 18 pound a month to go to the Odeon as much as I like. I pay an extra pound to sit in the premier seats, admittedly. Mm. But I go, I, I mean, I've been, what, three times? I could probably go on average three times a week to the cinema. Yeah. I can, as much as I'd love to go to the Tivoli three times a week, no one can afford to do that. Yeah. Um, so I, I'll be intrigued. I, 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 I wish them all the best. I would mm. definitely go and check out a film there. Mm. I like the idea of it. But it's not something I could sustain as a regular film goer. But yeah, at the same time, I think there could be a market for it because of, as you've just said. Yeah, you know, and we've got to be careful, Paul. I mean, this it. has come up before, hasn't it, with relation to other sort of similar endeavours, I think, that um, we as like avid film fans could be in danger of cutting our own noses despite our faces because we are desperate for all kinds of film content and cinema experiences and stuff and then you know me like you like many people I think we see something like this and we think like oh but is it going to be quite what I want is it the wrong kind is it going in the wrong direction but then you know for me like in this town I've got currently one commercial cinema when Tivoli opens we've doubled the number of cinemas that are here so even if it is utterly you know at odds with what i might dream of i can tell you all about my plans for an a you know a, a bespoke art house cinema at another on another <laughs> show but it, even if it's nothing like what i dream of i mean the very fact that i'm getting more cinema in my area is probably something that first of all we need to feel happy about oh and no then, absolutely yeah, yeah. No, as far as i'm concerned a new cinema in bath i will as i said i will attend it whether i attend it on a rate i can't afford to attend it on a regular basis mm. um i will attend it for sure and the more cinema should be welcome so don't think i'm, I'm not not in any way saying this isn't welcome it is but for me it will very much how much i use it will very much be dependent on what films are shown there if it's films i can't see at odin i will go there so I wish it all the best. I look forward to seeing it because it sounds awesome, uh, and I'm always up for eating a burger. So <laughs> yeah, and and remember at this remember at this juncture, you know, the more that you give support to our show, share it around, and tell the cool kids that they should pass it on to the other cool kids. The more that we build momentum, we start a Patreon. The Patreon is massively well funded, and then it becomes a self sustaining model where all three of us constantly pay fifteen pounds four times a week <laughs> to go to a, a lovely, comfortable cinema and eat burgers. So just do your bit is what I'm saying listener you do your bit support this and support us having lovely old time at the cinema right the other thing you mentioned something about uh, your dreams all coming true in the cinema aren't Cineworld doing something that will be the complete opposite of dreams coming true what a screen well, axe Pete yes. what is this nonsense Cineworld have come so, up with now so this is a combination <laughs> of sort of um, actual information and then a bit of sleuthing and a bit of sort of um, I, I guess uh predicting the future on my part because we've got the cinema city world cinema here like i believe a number in the chain is currently in the process of being expanded what they've done is they've bought out an extra unit and what i've heard from a uh, youngster who probably spoke out of turn working at the cine world chain that i was in uh, is that the development is very exciting it's huge uh, and it's probably going to involve some form of knocking through between the units that they have at the moment so putting this all together and looking at what the business is doing at the moment cine world are rolling out this thing called screen x which 
from my understanding and the YouTube videos that I've watched, is a screen at the front of the cinema in the traditional style, but then what we've been crying out for for years, which is a screen on the left-hand wall and a screen on the right-hand wall. So now the action that's so peripheral as to not get any screen real estate will be blown up huge at the side of the cinema to give you an immersive feel. When I first saw this, it sort of felt like a joke, but apparently this is real tech and this is no, I've real... No, I've read about this somewhere else. I didn't know Cineworld were doing it. I've read about this this technology somewhere else. Just get, get, the, you've got, get the screens working that you've already got in that cinema before you expand it. I hate that cinema with the force of but, a thousand suns. If they can't fix that cinema, stop opening new screens. But is it is it, Paul, going to be the kind of thing, like, I remember distinctly being on a train journey years ago and debating with someone the idea that had been uh, bandied about by a little company called Apple, that they would have launched something called a tablet. Uh, it was this thing that had no keyboard but essentially functioned like a home computer. And I at the time said, mark my words, this will fail. Um, and of course, you know, time told that I was entirely right. Um, in this case, when I look at it and think it's stupid, who knows, five years down the line, all the kids are going to be into your mm. three-screen setup. Just like the third time they relaunched 3D and look where they are with that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but you say that, Paul, and you laugh, but, like, who's to say? You might have in your house two sort of 4K HDR TVs either side of you and one in front of you, you know, before you know it. I mean, Grace, from the point of view of a filmmaker, is there any benefit to having three screens instead of one on which to project the work that you've done? Well, it's it's funny you should mention it because um, I was actually, um, and I hadn't actually... Um, thought of this idea before but i was watching a behind the scenes um thing of how um in han solo star wars story they shot all the castle run stuff and they actually use a similar not a similar thing but they they had the screen wrapped around um their cockpit so it were and so they had all the action surrounding them and i was actually thinking that's actually not a bad idea with that kind of stuff you know where you're it's like a virtual reality ride so i can imagine with like blockbustery films that might be quite cool because it is kind of like it's almost on a 4d thing where you're you're actually in in space or underwater or in the moment but for like normal films it's, it sounds a bit naff to be honest because you're just like I think it's the kind of thing that you'll go you'll go once and yeah. you'll go that's cool and then you'll go again and you won't notice yeah, I've com- got a feeling. Completely. Wasn't but, there yeah, from a, a thing a while ago, and I don't know if this died out, but I swear as a kid there was a thing called like Omnivision or something, where you sort of stood and you watch, and it's a bit like, you know, those demos for IMAX where you're watching something like some people climbing a mountain or whatever. It's not necessarily an actual theatrical feature, but you're standing in a sort of like hollowed out ball. Do you know what I mean? Where the screen, like you're describing, the screen kind of wraps around you like this. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm doing a gesture. We're on camera. Right. It's yeah. cool. Uh, yeah, so uh, I, no. I I can see where the idea comes from, but I think, like you say, Grace, maybe if it's Star Wars, it might add something. If it's like a d- domestic drama, I'm not sure. And I suppose the whole intention is for blockbusters to be shown that way and not other films. I mean, yeah, can, can you see any excitement from your side, Paul, on, on the prospect of this? No. <laughs> Project X. Yeah. If you make it 4D, I'll be sold. If you take Cineworld's name off of it, I might be interested. I want water like coming out the back seat into my face, and then like smells and smoke and really, yeah, yeah. I'll pay good money for that. Maybe they'll do that at Tivoli. 
Maybe. When the toilets leak. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, next Avengers. Sold, yeah. sold on that kind of thing. You know yeah. what, guys? If we've, if we've basically covered that topic, it's a perfect segue. Because if you wanted an experience where you are surrounded by water and entertained at a blockbuster movie, you might take yourself along to something like recent, uh, recent release Aquaman, which Ooh, is yes. exactly what we're going to be talking about right after this. See, I, I suffer from short-term memory loss. Short-term memory loss. I don't believe this. No, it's true. I forget things almost instantly. It runs in my family. Well, I mean, at least I think it does. So, <laughs> this is... We've, we've had Wonder Woman. She's had her own solo film. We've had Justice League. We've, we're now focusing on Jason Momoa as Aquaman. He plays Aquaman, and Aquaman is on land he is half underwater just to say just to say he initially plays arthur curry <laughs> just, arthur. just that just that that was it arthur yeah. i was trying to think of his name jeffrey like arthur of course he's arthur he doesn't look like an arthur does he oh no. little little arthur i'd say he's sexier than your average arthur <laughs> if i'm honest <laughs> little arthur um, gets uh, left on um, land with his with his pops and grows up on land, but is um, ever struggling with his um, underwater home of Atlantis. And where, does he belong under the sea? Does he a bit like the Little Mermaid? Does he belong under the sea? Does he belong on land? He's so strong. He's got these extra powers, which kind of useful um, in both places. And um, what happens is um, he is tested because uh, um, good friend Mira from Atlantis comes up and says, there's going to be a war. You've got to help us stop it. You're the true king. And he's a bit conflicted. And they have to go on an adventure to find a lost trident. So much stuff happens. And that's kind of, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to spoil it unless you want to spoil it. I don't mind. But well, there's, the, I mean, there's not really a story here to be spoiled. Which what? isn't necessarily criticism, so but yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Should we have a clip? I don't want to be king. Once he is named Ocean Master, it'll be too late. The power at his disposal will be unlike anything you have ever seen. I'm from the surface. No one's going to take me seriously. Okay, I don't even know where to begin. By winning the hearts and minds of the people, by proving to them that you're worthy and retrieving this. Pete, you start us off. I, I really have... I don't know what to say to Aquaman. Right. I, in all honesty, I think it's the first time I've left the cinema completely lost for words. I, I know, but, uh, I know what, what was in my think? mind, so I'm going to throw this thing at both of you and see if if one or both of you can identify the source. So uh, uh, let's. I'll present it as poetry. Right. Hold it now and watch the hoodwink. As I make you stop, think. You'll think you're looking at Aquaman. Nothing? Well, Nothing from your side. You've both let me down. It's, of course, one week by the bare naked ladies that got to number one and is dreadful. And by the way, the first two lines there, if you rewind and listen to them again, really fucking creepy. But that was in my head for the majority of this movie, right. I, I am afraid. Um, yeah, man, like, I... 
I don't know what I was expecting other than thinking that Jason Momoa really looks the part. I think that's, you know, beyond dispute. And thinking that um, my initial fears about how impossible it was going to be to make something that is fundamentally based underwater, uh, you know, how difficult it would be to make that viable as a cinematic prospect. They had seemingly washed away leading up to Aquaman to the point where I was like, yeah, this is going to be amazing. I don't know. It's, it's Jason Momoa. Uh, he and Wonder Woman or his Aquaman and Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman are basically the two standouts in this extended universe that I give a shit about. Uh, so here's his movie. Have at it. And then it started um, and we got to the point at which he, you know, finds his calling and, and dives you know, into the ocean for the first but not last time. And um, I realised that this is a movie set underwater um, and that's a problem. And um, this is a movie where, uh, you know, Amber Heard has a major role um, and it, it's a problem. And this is a movie where one of the main antagonists is played by Patrick Wilson <laughs> wearing something like a condom as an outfit. And this is a problem. Um, and, and I don't know that I really enjoyed myself. How did you feel about it, Paul? Do you, do you know that there's a community episode where they're in film studies and mm. Arbed gives a lecture called Nicolas Cage Good or Nicolas Cage Bad and then proceeds to act like a cat, uh, Nicolas Cage doing a cat impression and you're still left at the end of the episode going, is Nicolas Cage good or is Nicolas Cage bad? That's exactly how I felt when I came out of Aquaman. I don't know really whether it was a good film. I don't really know whether it was a bad film. But like in in a similar way to when I watched like Schwarzenegger's Commando, I really enjoyed it. I have to say, I mean, there's there's sharks with laser beams, there's seahorses with laser beams, there's massive sea monsters. The whole thing underwater looks fucking beautiful. Like the mm. art design on this film, I think it's 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 not quite into the Spider Verse good looking, but I thought it was a really good looking film. It kind of reminded me a lot of um, Luke Besson's Valerian, um, mm. in the in the kind of the way that it looked in this sci-fi world that it created. So in terms of the art direction, I thought it looked incredible. I was like, there's loads of daylight in a DC film. There's yeah. a Pitbull cover of Toto's Africa in there, which again mm. I don't know whether it's, which is definitely bad. But the way they throw it in is good. I, I'm just literally I came out of it and I rang my wife and I was just like, I don't know what I just watched. I haven't got a clue. I was like, you've got to go and see it. But I don't know what I just watched. And I, the more I think about this, and I thought, I, I genuinely thought opinions might form because I saw this like back end of last week. And I thought by this point of this week, opinions will have formed and they haven't. It's just, it's absolute chaos from start to finish. I've no idea what it's about. I don't know what the story is. It's bonkers, but I think I enjoyed it. But I don't think it's good. Maybe maybe a good place to like try and grab onto something is to sort of start or re-enter here. So if you both, you'll both know exactly what I'm referring to. If you cast your minds back to about the year 2003, I'm going to guess, uh, a young upstart filmmaker was given a, a something of a reasonable budget to turn a short film into a feature film. And that feature film was to be a horror film. And into that horror film, he threw absolutely everything and the kitchen sink. And I came out of that movie saying, this guy has got so many great ideas and also it turned somewhat into a fucking mess by the end and it's very similar to how I felt felt about this and the director of that and the director of this are the same guy uh, this is directed by James Wan right this guy yeah. who in recent times has been working on franchised out to an nth degree versions of franchise installations of franchise installations so to have him at the reins of something of this size was a gamble and we've seen this kind of gamble in you know blockbuster cinema of, of late on a number of 
front. It's a very Marvel-esque gamble to take, isn't it, to be fair, which I think DC are probably learning their lesson on. But. Right, yeah. And, and I mean, I suppose then it's a good segue, Grace, to you. And like, do you think as a avid horror fan and horror filmmaker, and I would expect somewhat of an admirer of James Wan, to have him in the director's chair for this thing, do you think that gamble paid off? Well, yeah, I mean, I... I really enjoyed James Wan's films. I mean, they're not all great, but I always enjoy them. Um, and I knew that going into this, the um, the villains and the creatures and um, the cinematography and the underwater setting were all going to be really awesome. Um, the trench scene with the swarm of creatures as they push down with the flare, that was so so cool and the, and there's like a couple of awesome, um, awesome beasts in it as well I think he he really delivered there but yeah he does um, he has some really good artistic ideas and he does draw from um, a lot of uh, I guess like 60s 70s creature features but I, I he's not at his best when he's um, directing sentimental human conversations which i think is where maybe this film fell a little bit flat you've got the likes of willem dafoe and nicole kidman in a film yet they did their best with what they had but there was still that the it's such a an, an interesting dynamic and a, and a world that hasn't been properly explored on cinema in cinema yet it just completely fell flat a bit and yeah and Pat, just because Patrick Wilson's in all in all your other films don't direct him and everything that's kind of where Tim Burton <laughs> and Johnny Depp kind of started to fall well, a bit Patrick flat. Wilson is in loads of James Bond films isn't yeah. he yeah, even thought yeah, of that. yeah 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 so uh you know but um no I, I think he's a really interesting guy and that's the reason one of the reasons I was excited about this film because I I really dislike Amber Heard um although in this she was ridiculously gorgeous I kind of hated her and she did all right this is the first film I've seen her in where she was bearable and Jason Momoa could just act like Jason Momoa in it so he doesn't actually have to try. <laughs> yeah, it, it's an interesting it thing, isn't it? Because, I, I mean, Jason Momoa is this guy who so looks the part that I think it's very easy to sort of overlook the fact that I'm not convinced that he's that good of an actor and I know that the counter to that would be like oh he doesn't need to you know it's a certain kind of acting and it's a big performance and so on I, I don't know there are moments here where it doesn't feel like he's he's 100% nailed down what the character is but maybe that's not entirely his fault no, I, I, I'm expecting a bit more charisma from him I have to say I thought, I thought he was decent here but I think he I think he you're right you kind of the film's kind of carried on his looks really I thought I probably found him more charismatic in the brief time he was in Justice League than I did in this mm. personally and I, I really really didn't like Justice League very much but I just found him a bit yeah probably more charismatic isn't, there than he was here but. isn't there you guys isn't there also like a more streamlined version of this movie in an alternate universe where we have just one antagonist and not two because it kind of felt like having two made the one the other one that isn't Patrick Wilson seem kind of redundant and he just kind of disappeared I mean he, yeah we know what happened to him no spoilers etc but like it felt like unnecessary to have two sort of slightly watered down antagonists rather than one uh, significant one and i don't know the source stuff and maybe i'm being yeah. sacrilegious and it's in the comic books and all the kind of usual stuff we get to but like to me that was one of the most disappointing things about this this movie was that i didn't feel any real investment in the clash between sort of good and, and bad and right and wrong because well because yeah you kind of set manta up to be the, the big bad don't you and then he actually just kind of 
crops up later on and is like mm. just one of the bosses that he has to defeat and then he's got an after credits bit but um and it is a really interesting character you know he's a villain that kind of develops his own he, he doesn't have any special powers so it, it, it and it's quite an interesting dynamic with a an underwater creature with a robotics expert i guess um and yeah it does completely um, eradicate his character in a way his whole character yeah, I, I, I'm with you because you were just saying that then and I was just like there wasn't two villains who's the other villain and exactly. it wasn't so Grace you just went oh Manta and I was just like yeah. Yeah. oh yeah that dude was in it the guy with the fucking weird helmet thing that I love to hate as well I don't mm. know did I I don't know I still don't and, know what to think but mm. yeah <laughs> and, and Paul I was going to say to you though um, that I guess loosely categorizing um, Marvel versus DC big screen installments, the public perception is that Marvel is where you go for fun and entertainment and DC is where you go for stodgy, self-serious productions. (laughs) And it felt to me in this, like DC, as you're mentioning, you know, are taking some inspiration from Marvel and the way that their films have have become more successful or reached maybe more enthusiastic uh, reception and audience that there are times that that feels awkward here where you're like oh I get it this is the bit where DC is throwing in Marvel type stuff like incidental yeah. uh, you know the the bit where they're on land and they're in Italy and they have a sort of a little encounter with their kid and it's all kind of whimsical and funny and like on its own terms that stuff works but when it's put into a film that still is sort of dragged I felt like slightly into the deeper waters of, of sort of self-seriousness by the way that DC tends to go about these things or DC movies end up I mean where, where did you where did you land on that did you feel like this thing used humor and levity effectively or did it just kind of feel like trying too hard I think it's a step in the right direction. I, don't, I personally didn't have too many problems with the tone of this. I thought it pretty much nailed the tone. I think it embraced its. It embraced the fact that Aquaman is one of. I mean, all the superheroes are silly. I don't know when. I don't know when we got to a point. I suppose Chris Nolan um, where is when we got to the point where start, people started taking mm. super, su- certain superheroes seriously. All superheroes are silly, uh, but Aquaman is one of the silliest. I think without a doubt. And I think it's. I think it was good that it embraced that. And I said I really like the fact that. The the manta the black manta suit for example just looked silly it looked like it looked like a kid's toy robot from an episode of Power Rangers I actually quite like that mm. that they the film had embraced its silliness so now for me I thought the tone was alright I didn't find it particularly jarring um, in the way that I have done in well in certainly in the way you had the Justice League where it was obvious what had been shot by Snyder and obvious what had been shot by Joss Whedon I think that the the jarring in the jarring tone was is more of a problem with Justice League than this. Uh, yeah, and I think yeah, it's just I still can't make my mind up. Grace, what did you think of the tone? Were you happy, sad, overall? Where did you where did you sit on it? I think it was fine. It it did what it had to do, um, and that there's always a challenge with having such a kind of um, ridiculous um, setup. Anyway, I think the there are a few dodgy bits of CGI. Um, I think the main thing that bothered me about this film is the fact that in the very beginning where um, Manta's dad, although they're baddies, you know, he um, gets wounded and Aquaman just leaves him to die. And that kind of made me question well, what an interesting choice to make for Aquaman, like in the respect that heroes are not supposed to let people die. They save them and then take them in for questioning there has to be some kind of justice you know that he's part of the justice league and he's just like eh, well you kill loads of people just let the sea take you it's kind of it seemed quite out of step for what aquaman he's not a, he's not a murderer 
Well, that's the DC though in general. That's the DC movies in general of what they did with Batman making him a killer. And yeah, that kind Batman of things, shouldn't kill. Yeah. He shouldn't. Although he did in Batman. But then, Grace, didn't you read that bit like I did, being like, oh, I get it. Towards the end of the movie, he'll learn his lesson and he'll treat the same situation in a different way. Because to me, it just it just seemed very transparently like, oh, there's going to be a time at which he has the opportunity to kill someone and maybe he doesn't. And that mm. maybe or maybe not is, is what yeah. happens yeah, in the end. He spares Orm, doesn't he? He spares the king. Um, oh, yeah, I guess he does. Yeah. But then you've, that's because I'm, I'm going to coin something which I didn't make up. I wish I did. But that's because Pickle Rick, um, Pickle Nick comes along pickle nick pickle nick that's a play on um sorry on um pickle rick and nicole kidman are you remembering the scene yeah oh jesus yeah, yeah. i've not thought of that before <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> so yeah. when she when she's in yeah, it does. i think that's where he has to make the decision you know right. it's about yes. family yeah, pickle nick i like that pickle nick that yeah. Works. yeah yeah well i was gonna say like tone wise <laughs> to sign off on that thing like you've got to give props to uh to james one for the fact that he put a character in this that i've, I've been informed by the internet is called topo the drumming octopus and he justified yeah. <laughs> the uh, the decision to include that in the movie even though he was initially like uh, unsure on the basis that if mad max fury road could include a flame guitar uh you know metal guitarist with flames coming out of his guitar then he was going to put a drumming octopus in his movie yeah, so you enough, know you've got to admire the, the kind so, of uh, yeah. Yeah. the nerve to do that but yeah i mean i think i i came out of this by the sounds of this conversation that we've had um like a bit more down than you guys i just i just kind of thought that it all um it all was very muddled towards the end and like yeah when the bottom of the ocean turns into a sort of um you know november the 5th fireworks display and we chuck a hundred million dollars into about 20 minutes of footage you know great I'm, I'm all for it i'm munching my popcorn but like the movie itself it, it is gonna evaporate from my mind quite quickly and like something like wonder woman i know they're completely different movies but you understand the connection something like wonder woman didn't do that and stuck with me and made me interested in what happens next for this character as far as Aquaman's arc as with Jason Momoa in that role I if he doesn't make another one it wouldn't bother me that much and I maybe I'm alone in that I'm gonna go with with fun but flawed I think it, it's got some problems I, I really enjoyed it I actually enjoyed it more than I enjoyed Wonder Woman um, I don't think it's a better film uh, it's not certainly not a better film than Wonder Woman but I enjoyed it it's probably the most I've enjoyed a DC film for a long time whether I enjoyed it for the right reasons only time will tell but I certainly had a good time watching it and it looks incredible Grace any final thoughts on Aquaman yeah I think it's a definitely a good cinema movie I don't think I'd enjoy it on a small screen um, at all and sometimes <laughs> I just like to go to the cinema to take my brain out for a bit and then put it back in afterwards and go oh that, that made me feel a bit happier cool that was a good romp. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. Aquaman. Can't it say better right. than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so so I'm I'm glad that you guys have, have lifted my spirits a bit because I thought I was going to be all grumpy about Aquaman and now I don't feel too bad about it. Uh, and that's <laughs> and that's good because the next section we need all the jollity that we can possibly muster because right after the break we will be back with our top five Christmas movies of all time right after this. You see, George, you really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? Uh, right, so yes, as Pete said, we have gone for top five Christmas films of all time. Um, this was quite a hard list to put together because like, it's one of these things where you think you've got your list and then you do you, know, you do some double checking and you go, oh, I've forgotten about this. And I've rewatched a couple. I've rewatched Scrooge, for example, I rewatched thinking, oh, that would definitely make my list. And then I was just like, oh, I'm not sure I really like it anymore. So yeah, it's been a difficult list for me to put together personally. Um, 
guys, any thoughts, or should we just get straight into uh, it? My my thoughts are we are over an hour already, so let's get straight into the list. Um, who wants to go first? I I can go first. Why not? I have quite a definitive list because I'm a bit of a um, a Scrooge when it comes to Christmas. It's not okay. my favourite time of year, but you know I love watching Christmas movies. <laughs> so my <laughs> my um, first choice is uh, Joe Dante's Gremlins. That's is it a Christmas film? It, well, are we going to have this debate? No, let's not. Let's are go we? top five Christmas movies. Because if yeah, you've got no. di- so one of you's got Die Hard on there, and we're I not even, okay. Personally, but anyway, Gremlins, <laughs> why Gremlins? Gremlins is a great film. Why have you put Gremlins as your number five Christmas movie? Um, right, Gremlins um, broke the fourth wall before Deadpool even was an idea of a cinematic journey. Um, the creatures are so awesome. I um, Gizmo is such an adorable iconic little bundle of christmas joy what an amazing (laughs) thing to get on christmas i mean yeah there's dark bits like um the girlfriend being like oh my dad dressed up as santa and died in the chimney like yeah but that kind of takes you out of the film you're like that's a really weird thing to put in this sort of family i can imagine america be more of a family film than here but i think it um redefined uh, a creature feature at a time when it was most needed you know when you've got things like ghoulies and leprechaun coming out like that kind <laughs> of era of um of cinema um i think it's really heartwarming there's it's so iconic that you know you you know the three things not to do to a gremlin and you know what happens when you do one of those three things um and yeah this the, you know the sequels are let's not talk about those and i really hope they don't remake um gremlins because it is so near perfect to me um and yeah i don't know what more i can say yeah it is a good christmas film because who doesn't want a mowgli for christmas i don't know i'm not arguing it's a good film i just i you would know? just stretch it a christmas film but anyway <laughs> anyway uh what, so sorry paul what was the uh, best directorial debut of all time uh eggshells by toby hooper <laughs> <laughs> smooth um Yes, so number five for me is uh, quite a recent one, this. From 2015 it came out in the UK. Uh, this is The Night Before. I know you've seen this, Pete. Um, uh, yeah, this sticks with me. It's it's mine as well, Paul. Number five for me too. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, and this, for me at least, I know we, we can pick up this in a minute. For me, it basically is at number five because of Michael Shannon's weed-dealing Mr. Green. Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, who just absolutely... Michael Shannon normally steals the film, the, any film that he's in. But oh, have you seen this, Grace? No. Okay. uh, Yeah. Just Michael Shannon is this weed dealer called Mr. Green who just drives around this shitty car, and it was basically been uh, Seth Rogen's character, Anthony Mackie's character, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. They play childhood friends uh, who are reuniting for a big Christmas. Is it like one last Christmas night out? I think one last Christmas night out. But you do have to mention that the the uh, Seth Rogen character is gifted by his, I think, wife to be. Uh, oh, yeah, he's his wife to be with a massive box of yeah, a, a giant <laughs> like a, a like a, an, a chocolate assortment where the chocolates have been replaced with class A drugs. So he spends the whole movie like going through phases of doing different types of uppers and downers and, and stimulants and hallucinogens and stuff like that. And so it all takes on this kind of drug trip kind of rhythm to it, which is really enjoyable. 
and they're all desperate to get to this Nutcracker Ball, which is supposed to be this like like super exclusive, uh, really high end Christmas party. Uh, and then they're, they're all desperately trying to get an invite to this thing, and they're not quite sure how they're going to get there. Um, yeah, it's just an absolute blast. It's very very silly. It knows exactly what it is, but I think it's totally it's one of my uh, one of my favourite comedies from that year as well. In fairness, and yeah, Michael Shannon's Weed Dealing, Mr. Green. It's just brilliant. Pete, you've got anything uh, to No, add? just that I mentioned uh, the gravel voice of uh, Miley Cyrus earlier on and she gets to have a fucking wonderful cameo in this as well. Yeah, it's it's really it's really great. And like, it's one of those movies that, yeah, if you held it up to like real great, you know, like critical examination, it would disintegrate in your very hands. But it doesn't <laughs> matter because like, it's just this incredibly fun knockabout thing in a Christmas jumper. And that's good enough for me. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, and I think more people should see it if they get the chance. Sounds quite reminiscent of um, cigarettes and alcohol. Is that with Courtney Love and Paul Rudd, the nineties movie where they're all that, trying so. to get to a party and then all of their character arts kind of they all meet at the end. It could be. I mean, I'm, sounds I'm, quite reminiscent. I would say it probably has taken inspiration yeah. from somewhere else. It's yeah. not. A, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, it's a, it's yeah. As Pete said, it's just a knockabout. It's knockabout yeah. fun, but it's good. Mm. It's good. Uh, Grace, what have you got at number four? Um, my number four is um, oh have we done Pete's yeah it's the same number Pete's five number so we're Pete's number five it. was night before so yeah oh Your number four okay yeah. um, alright um, Batman Returns yep yeah yep I was just going to say is, is that, that a Christmas movie <laughs> no that's no Batman Returns <laughs> yeah it's um, a great film uh, yeah I um, I mean Tim Burton's one of my favourite directors of all time and to follow up uh, Batman 1989 with Batman Returns. Like, who'd have thought that he could create something so amazing in a follow-up? Um, the whole Tim Burton-ness is perfect in this film. The set design is just incredible. It really immerses you into, into Tim Burton's Gotham. Um, and there's a lot of villains in this film, but it still never feels like there's too many you know like michelle pfeiffer's catwoman is the defining catwoman for me christopher walken is so good at being a baddie um danny devito's penguin like as a christmas villain good lord he's like <laughs> he's, he's, so he's absolutely terrifying, terrifying yeah. you know and um it the christmas soundscape really immerses you in this really dark cold world of what Gotham has become. Everyone's performances is incredible. Even the penguins are so good in this film. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I, I feel really Christmassy when I'm watching that movie. So. Good. I think well, that's the key thing, isn't it? If it makes you feel Christmassy, <laughs> then it's winning for sure. So yeah. Um, right, my number four is uh, John Favreau's Elf uh, starring Will Ferrell as Buddy the Elf, who is a human who is adopted. He finds his way into Santa's sack and then ends up being bought up by elves even though he's a human uh, but he's not a very good elf because he's six foot three tall and he's Will Ferrell um, yeah it's the, this for me is probably Will Ferrell's some of his finest physical comedy work I think is in this film the way he is an excited basically he's an excited child uh, the bit where he thinks Santa's coming to the department store is one of my favourite Christmas moments uh, Zoe Deschanel is in this as well on supporting duty and she is charming and mm. as beautiful and as charming as she always is um, but yeah it's, it's Will Ferrell's film he absolutely steals the show and I think it's one of his best pieces of work and it's just it's just absolute absolute silliness and also you've got this whole 
I think the first. I always forget how long the opening bit is that's in the North Pole, mm. where you've got a narwhal, talking snowmen, uh, just some really, really crazy stuff going on. But yeah, Elf is a whole heap of fun, and that's why it's at number four. Uh, Pete, what is your number four? Sir? Number four for me is uh, not any of the adjectives that you use there, I don't think. Um, this one from Bob Clark from 1974 is Black Christmas, a film that holds the tagline, if this picture doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. Um, it's a group of sorority girls in a house, a uh, sorority house, in fact, leading up to Christmas time, who are stalked by an unseen, initially anyway, unseen, creepy, really, really creepy, uh, like prank caller who kind of does a lot of heavy breathing and like says disgusting things down the down the phone this is a movie that i caught up with literally because we were going to do this list and i you know to this point had not not seen it although being well aware of it and it's like a really effective horror movie um it, it it's not only like that but it's the fact that you see the influence that this movie has had on a whole bunch of other things um down the line between sort of 1974 and the present day or, or 75 when it came out here well, yeah pretty simple dates halloween is probably the first one of the first slashes for sure so. yeah so um yeah really enjoyed it and, and i mean it might sound a bit perverse to say it but there is a lot of fun to be had here if you're a horror film fan as well because of the creative ways in which the all of the sort of intimidation and hunting goes down so yeah i really enjoyed it uh, that's black christmas what have we got next oh it's grace next right number three i have got ron howard's year 2000 i believe how the grinch stole christmas and i think not only is this one of the greatest Christmas movies, Christmas ideas, but one of Jim Carrey's greatest physical comedy performances. As you can probably tell from quite a lot of my choices, I'm a real sucker for built sets and the care and um, love that goes into creating, well, especially um, the kids' films. Um, Batman Returns is a kids' film, but, you know. Um, and I think it it portrays Dr. Zeus's world amazingly on screen. Um, it's really, it's got a really beautiful message. It's really silly. It's a bit creepy. It is a bit sickening in points, but that's kind of why I think it's such a good Christmas movie because it's just cr Christmas just thrown up over everything really. Um, and yeah, um, I, I was thinking about it again recently because this new animation has come out of, of the Grinch, I don't know if either of you have seen it. I haven't no, seen, I haven't it, seen yet, it yet, but no. um, I was just—I gave it a, a rewatch recently, and I just thought, that oh, damn, that's a good Christmas movie." And yeah, that's why it's in my top five. There you go. Right, <laughs> number three from me is Terry Zwigoff's *Bad Santa*, uh, starring why have I forgotten his name? Billy Bob Thornton. Billy Bob Thornton. That's the man. Billy Bob Thornton as. Um, an alcoholic Santa Claus, I suppose is the best way to describe him. An alcoholic man who gets a job working at Santa Claus and then uh, kind of turns his life around when he meets a kid um, who just always makes me laugh called Thurman Merman. And I just think this is Terry Zogoff for me firing all cylinders. And actually, I find this film the funnier the more that I watch it. I just think incredibly, incredibly well-observed black comedy with a great performance from Billy Bob Thornton. Not your traditional Christmas film in the sense of some of the others I've gone for on the list in terms of the fact that it's, it's certainly not nice, it's certainly not a nice film, but it is a very funny film. 
uh, and these are kind of an antidote to the more uh, saccharine Christmas films. Um, apparently the sequel's shit, though, but I haven't seen it. Pete, over to you, sir. Well, you know that whole fun debate where everyone goes like, uh, like when you're talking about Gremlins, Grace, where everyone goes like, oh, it's not a Christmas film, it doesn't count, it can't be on the list. Well, uh, I've gone for the quintessential one of those, because my number three is uh, from 1988, and it is the film Die Hard, which, to be fair, I don't even see how there is a debate. It's a Christmas movie, because they're having a Christmas party, and it's set at Christmas. I mean, I don't know what people want. Is every Christmas movie supposed to be like the snowman in order for it to qualify to be a Christmas movie I'm not sure but um yeah I I, I enjoy the hell out of Die Hard and the thing I noticed on re-watching it having not seen it for years is the absolutely pornographic use of lens flare in this thing I mean like the, the, the likes of sort of J.J. Abrams and stuff like a bit of lens flare but John McTiernan has gone berserk there's a section towards the end like the last sort of half hour of this where it's just lens flare on lens flare on lens flare and it's it's quite glorious and then like as a action romp, uh, there's just so much to enjoy. And so, yeah, fuck it. I don't really care if it qualifies or doesn't qualify. It's really good. And I wanted to talk about it. So that's Die Hard at number three. <laughs> where do you guys stand, by the way? Does this qualify? If Gremlins qualify? Like, where are we? Is it all right? I don't think either of them do, personally. But I don't know what. I just feel that their film's set at Christmas. I think for me... To be a Christmassy film, it's got to be a film that I I I am used that I'm used to watching at Christmas time. So it makes me feel like Christmas. I can watch Die Hard any time of year. It never makes me feel particularly Christmassy as such. Mm. And Gremlins is the same for me. So I don't think it is. I mean, you where do you stand what, on Die Hard? I mean, on on films that I wa- I I will watch like Ghostbusters is a Christmas film for me or a Star Wars movie because they're films that you sit around with your family and watch together. Whereas yeah, um, watching a film that's set at Christmas time outside of Christmas time is weird. I mean, I know. I think because Bruce Willis said that it wasn't a Christmas movie makes me want to put it as a Christmas movie even more because he's so grumpy. So, yeah, no, it's a Christmas movie. Yeah. I think it definitely is. And, I mean, what does it really matter? It's just, you know, this whole list thing is immaterial, isn't it, really? I like Die Hard. It's good. Watch it if you haven't. Um, Grace, what have you got at number two? I have got Home Alone at number two. Isn't that a good movie? It is. It is a good movie. I like Home Alone a lot. Is, do you think it's a Christmas movie? No. <laughs> um, I think it, like, you know, um, Home Alone has that kind of um, married with children factor where it's just such a good family comedy. Um, and Macaulay Culkin's um, performance is just hilarious. It plays on so many parents' worst fears. Like, it, I mean, they're so stupid to leave yeah, them at home they, anyway. Yeah, but the like, more you watch it, the more you think, how the hell yeah, do they leave like, their son at home? Because like all the the, the, kid, co- the concepts ridiculous. Yeah, like all their kids have like such defining personalities in that household. It's like it's not the kind of yeah you you get anxious and you're oh, I'm gonna miss the flight, but you don't miss a whole person, you know. But yeah, I just I it's like such a stupid take on the home invasion kind of thing and. Um, it's just absolutely hilarious. It's so classic. It, uh, I don't know what more I can say because I'm sure like most people have seen it and know how magical it feels. And when you've seen that <laughs> film for the first, I remember I was um I used to put on um children's cinema and um, Home Alone was a Christmas movie and it still holds up. Like the kids in that cinema were just laughing so hard, especially where that bit where he um, plays the tape back to the um, to the burglars. I've forgotten their names now because I'm just so excited about talking about this film. <laughs> but yeah, they were like in hysterics in the bit where he's doing the silhouettes in the... Yeah, the silhouettes yeah, bit's it, incredible. It, yeah. it still holds up, you know. It's, yeah, classic. It's number two. Number two. 
Number two from me is, you might have heard of this one, It's a Wonderful Life. Has anyone heard of that film? No. Yeah, it's just, yeah, for me, one of those films that I always sit down and make a point of watching at Christmas time every year. I haven't got to it yet, but I certainly will. Uh, just a, a delightful, heartwarming tale in a sort of classic, just classic Hollywood Hollywood fair, really. Like in the, just a very classy production, incredibly well put together. James Stewart is great in this. It's heartbreaking at times, but then it's ultimately heartwarming. I just think, yeah, so it's a classic and, and deservedly so, and kind of is a film that really uh, does a good job of evoking the spirit of what of what Christmas should be about, guys. It's, it's, rather than just presents, it's about an attitude and and helping each other out, and you know, and the fact that James Stewart finds you know finds peace and gets you know ultimately ultimately gets back to to what is important to him. So yeah. It's a Wonderful Life, a film I try and watch every Christmas that I will be watching between now and Christmas for many, 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 many years to come. Uh, and that's why it's at number two. Pete, number two from you, um, sir. I'm seeing that that there movie uh, on Thursday at the cinema. Um, but oh, yeah, nice. it's a good pick. It didn't make my list. I don't really know why. Um, I think that at the time I felt like some negativity about some aspect of that film. But I'll go and see it on Thursday and probably uh, realise that I was wrong. Um, my number two then is actually... The film uh, from 1993, the film The Nightmare Before Christmas from writer Tim Burton and director Henry Selick. I mean, this is again one that I would hope any self-respecting human being has already seen. But um, it's just like the animation is an absolute marvel. Not least because this thing came out like 25 years ago and still looks incredibly good. Uh, the songs, the 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 just design and the mechanisms of the whole thing, the characterization of things that are just um you know it's so well inhabited by the the voice actors here and yeah I, I i love it and it's the kind of film that when i go back to it i've always slightly forgotten how happy it makes me so um yeah the thing to touch on i guess the thing that you were talking about paul in terms of something that makes you feel really christmasy this is one of those movies that just kind of fills me with a feeling that is entirely in keeping with how you should be feeling hopefully around christmas time so yeah that's that's my number two. Grace, this is a dramatic moment. Drum roll from an octopus playing the drums. What is number one on this particular list? My number one is Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, what a fine oh. choice. Yeah. It is. And it makes me wonder whether Tim Burton is actually like the master of Christmas because Edward Scissorhands also has a Christmas theme. That man returns. Is, is Tim Burton Santa Claus? Uh, that would I don't know Grace and you know uh, maybe he t just delivers <laughs> Christmas joy into my heart I mean Nightmare for Christmas is one of the main reasons why I become so poor around Christmas time and Halloween because is I Funko Pops um, Funko Pops um, figurines in coffins t-shirts keychains mugs just <laughs> I, I am addicted to Nightmare Before Christmas I went to see um, Danny Elfman in concert at the Royal Albert Hall a few years ago and saw the whole of Nightmare Before Christmas with Danny Elfman singing as Jack Skellington and I cried so hard because it was one of the most beautiful moments of my life that film when I saw it when I was like seven years old just like changed me as a young it 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 made me certainly addicted to horror like besides my horror addiction because i was just like what are these creatures why are they so weird why are they singing why do they want to kill santa i'm so confused but yay <laughs> and then i had a weird like i want jack skellington to be my best friend i i just love that film so hard and for all the reasons that you said about the animation the score um and um the director's gone on he he did um james and giant peach and Coraline as well which are two of my other favorite movies so um yeah ultimate christmas pick for me. 
Uh, my number one is a nightmare. No, it's not. <laughs> uh, although I feel that this should have made my list. It's just I haven't seen it for quite a long time. Um, my number one, and I, I've questioned myself about putting this here because I watched it again the other day with some people who've never seen it before. Uh, and they quite rightfully picked a lot of it apart because there's some very questionable humour in this. Um, there's a questionable man in this, although he is very funny. Uh, this is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Yeah, and not all of this film stands up particularly well, and it certainly doesn't stand up in the eyes of, I would say, you know, not it, it's horribly sexist in places. A lot of the gags have dated badly. Chevy Chase has aged badly as a human being, although he is a gifted physical comic. But there's just something about this. This is one of those films that my dad always made us watch every Christmas, and I still watch it every Christmas. It tends to be the first Christmas film that I watch almost every year. There's still enough in there for me to make it laugh. There's still the scenes where they get the Christmas tree that's too big for the house, and it pops through the ceiling, and then there's the bits where Chevy Chase turns on. The, my probably favourite bit is when Chevy Chase finally turns on the, the Christmas lights and power, powers down the whole city. So there's enough. It's farcical. It's very silly. It is horribly sexist in places but I'm sorry it is still my number one Christmas film uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation Pete number one so, for you sounds an so. awful lot like the house that Jack built um, <laughs> therefore we'll have to get <laughs> onto that one in, in due course this, um, yes, yes, yes my number one I don't know it, I, when you were saying that thing about how like on re-examination maybe it doesn't hold up it kind of resonated with my pick as well but my number one pick is my second entry from the same director that is Bob Clark and this one is the 1983 movie A Christmas Story and it's my number one because it's the one that kind of struck me in a particular way as a very young child as like my Christmas movie. I just kind of decided it was my Christmas movie. So like all this story is essentially about is a little boy called Ralphie who wants to get a present for Christmas that he's not really allowed. That's my whole childhood. That's what I experienced every year was like, oh, I really want this, but I know what I'm going to get is a sort of sensible version of that. Like the time, I don't know if I recounted this on the show, but the time I thought I'd got a PlayStation, but I'd actually got an alarm clock. It's a little bit like that. Um, and so in this, he wants to get this gun, the uh, Red Rider BB gun. And he thinks that he's going to make like everything in life great, which is kind of the way that you feel about Christmas presents when you're a little kid. It's like, if yeah, I get this yeah. one item, everything else is just going to fall into place. But his mum <laughs> the entire time is concerned that if he gets this gun, he's essentially going to kill himself and everybody around him through like misadventure and having their eye out with a errant BB be the mum is played by melinda dillon who of course is the the mother as well in close encounters of the third kind um and is really really great the, the family dynamic i enjoyed from the fact that the father is kind of at odds with the family because he makes that mail order and receives a lamp but it's the sort of shape of a woman's leg wearing a suspender and that gets him in all kinds of trouble to the sequence where the kid uh is dared to put his tongue on ice and then does it and gets stuck which is exactly the kind of thing again i, I did as a kid like we had those things i don't know if you remember them they're little plastic uh, toys with a sucker on the bottom and you press them down and then they jumped up in the air and of yeah, and of course that, yeah. i got one of those for i don't know some present at some point or I, I managed to buy one myself with my pocket money and i decided that i would test out whether putting it on my forehead was okay and then obviously the suction cup got stuck and i walked around for about a week with like a red circle on my forehead like a freak so, like, yeah, just so much of this kind of connects with my childhood, even though uh, when the film was originally released, 
it was the same year that that I was born. Um, so yeah, I didn't see it until later on. But yeah, I, I really like it, and I'll go back to it. Having said all that, like you, Paul, I showed this to uh, not other people, but to uh, Francesca, who's now my wife, like a year ago, and got to the end of it thinking that she'd be all a flutter with like how great it was, and she was like, "Yeah, didn't really like it. It's not really the kind of Christmas movie I go for." So to each his or her own, I guess. But um, I think it's really good. Uh, that one's a Christmas story, and this has been a fun list. It has been a fun list, yes. Yeah, so many I couldn't mention as well. It was difficult, to really be honest, difficult. to get to, to five. I, I think A Nightmare Before Christmas probably should have been in my list. I think if I rewatch it, I will I will watch it this week. I will, yeah. get, it, I will, get, it, back, I will get it back on my screen because I haven't seen that for a few years mm. now. So mm. I wouldn't say the same about Christmas Vacation if you haven't already seen it because if you haven't already seen it, it's a bit shit. <laughs> so, so yeah, A Christmas Story I've not seen either so I'll ch- check that one out as well. But that pretty much brings us to the end of the show. So we will be back. We will be back next week at some point between Christmas and the year. The film of the year episode will go out. When we're going to record it, we haven't quite decided yet, but we will squeeze it in uh, for sure. So we'll be running down our, what, 10 best and five worst? Is that how we're going to yeah, play Yeah, I mean, year, I feel or? like you're slightly underselling it, Paul. This is the show. Like, if you've just if you've just got into our show and you're like, oh, I don't know, they've done a couple of weird top fives. I don't know, they all seemed a bit bitter with each other about what qualifies and what doesn't. This is the show <laughs> because we're doing the countdown of the best films of the year this is where like everybody can be as outspoken pretentious or you know whatever way we choose to go on these lists so I can't wait the only problem with that episode is that it's swallowing the rest of my entire life because I'm spending so much time preparing for it but yeah there have been we- there have been weeks this year when you've watched no films yeah. though so this, this is kind of your recompense yeah. I'm for cramming that. about so this three is what months happens. so if you keep it's up it's like three months like me, of I've got inactivity maybe, yeah. into about two weeks yeah. of, of rampant activity so I think that I've got maybe two that I want to see now so I'm in quite a good position for this because I'm, I'm now going back re-watching things to go and oh should it make the list so I think I've, I've I'm well prepared mm. I mean Grace you've joined the show quite late in the year so yeah. whether you've done any preparation or not we, we can forgive you for that to be honest but oh, um, you. are you excited to be on your first films of the year show I'm a bit scared I'm kind of glad I have bars on my windows in case people are like oh what was that choice you weirdo and like come and find my I house I mean no one's come to find us yet and we've criticised <laughs> we've, we've criticised some pretty popular films on this show from time to time so yeah no one's come after us yet should i mention now or save the fact that one of the films that i have a suspicion might get on your top 10 list came out theatrically in the uk on january the 1st it doesn't qualify one of your films might not qualify we'll get to it in the next episode because i like doing stuff one of my films might not qualify okay i'm gonna double check i'm gonna double check the uk release dates of all of my list then (laughs) yeah absolutely uh, right, anyway, enough of that. Uh, yeah, so that'll be next week. So it'll be Films of the Year show. There you go, Pete. There's some enthusiasm. In the meantime, you can find us on Strangers in the Cinema on Instagram, Stranger, at Strangers Cinema on Twitter, and all of the social medias. Uh, we will be back next week wishing you all a Merry Christmas, and thank you for listening this year. Uh, we will be back in your ears very soon. Goodbye. Bye.